Welcome to the Culture and Coins podcast, your destination for entertaining economics. I'm your host, Emily Dela Cruz. And I'm your host, George Action Pong, where we cover all things music, fashion, entertainment, politics, sports, and tech for the culture. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Culture and Coins Show with George and M. And you know, you know what I'm gonna ask you to say. You know what I'm gonna ask. Come on. Forbes George is in the building, y'all. He got a haircut and everything. I don't know where he went to get that haircut. I don't know, um, you know, if he is no longer following the social distancing guidelines. But your boy is in the streets. I got people in high places. Okay. Um, but today, today, today is a special, special episode. Uh, we have, have our first ever guest on the Culture and Coin show, Woo! you know, so we're super excited, nice. about, excited about that. We'll do, uh, the intro and all that stuff post-production so you don't have to sit through us. You run into the laundry list of all your wonderful accomplishments, but with no further ado, Hope Wiseman, how are you? I am well. Thank you, George and Emily for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, of course, I have to start off with, you know, the, the baseline question, because there might be some folks who don't know who you are just yet. Um, so, in your own words, like, who is, who is Hope? What are you all about? Hmm. Um, so, Hope is a person who is trying to promote generational wealth. Um, you know, I think when a lot of people think of who I am, they first think of cannabis and I get these little terms like cannabis queen, um, cannabis princess, all these little things. And I'm like, you know, that's, I can, I'm not really just trying to promote the cannabis industry. I obviously believe in it and a lot of, for a lot of different reasons, but um, I'm really trying to promote generational wealth and um, financial excellence within black families. Um, and that's what I believe everything that I do um, speaks to. So that's who I am as a person. I'm fun. I'm just like you. Um, I'm no different than anyone else. Uh, and I, you know, I really just want to make sure that everyone understands that about me. I think a lot of people just think I'm like this, like, you know, that they can't do what I've done and I'm no different than anyone else. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that you put like generational wealth first because I think a lot of entrepreneurs do it backwards, right? They're like, oh, I want to start a business and I hope this business builds generational wealth versus you're like, I want to create generational wealth. So I'm going to do that through something I'm passionate about, which is, you know, cannabis, which is super important. But how has it been, um, you know, starting a business that's so untraditional that comes with so many stereotypes and stuff like that. So like I'm Dominican and Puerto Rican and my Puerto Rican grandma like thinks that hookah is drugs, right? So like if she sees a hookah, she's like, oh my God, you're going to hell. Like the world is ending, you know? And I know that there's still a lot of people in our country who, who feel that way about cannabis. So how has it kind of been, you know, starting a business that's not traditional, that, that isn't necessarily, you know, well-received by everybody and still, you know, killing it, you know, and coming out on top. Yeah. So, I mean, that definitely has been a little bit of a, um, it's been, it's been difficult to navigate. It has been, I mean, even within my own family, I've definitely gotten a lot of shade. It's been good though. You know, I started my business with my mother. So we work together and my mom is like my biggest cheerleader and she's always been that way. So, I mean, even when we got pushed back from our family, it's like I had a big, 
you know, a, a giant in front of me pushing people out the way. Like, no, you're going to listen to my daughter. Hey. Um, <laughs> so I felt really lucky. And I think that, again, speaks back to, you know, our whole mission of helping other families understand how to work together and how to do mm -hmm. things together. My mom brought me up thinking the way that I think. You know, she brought me up to be very free thinking. I've always been a rebel. I've always done things against the beaten path. So this didn't feel, once I got to this point where I was ready to really jump into something huge, it didn't feel like I was jumping into something huge because I've been taking risks and, and doing things a little bit off the beaten path and you know doing things against what my peers were doing since I was young. I grew up doing pageants um, and you know I probably started around 11. 11 10 or 11 and it's not something that my parents wanted me to do it's something that i like was figuring out on my own and i was badgering my mom like mom please let me do this pageant please 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 and i mean my mom is like not into makeup or anything nothing like that so i was figuring stuff at 10 on my own and my mom was taking me and you know allowing me to thrive in something that she wasn't even big in so that has mm -hmm. carried into now i'm an adult and here it is again i brought something to her she had no idea, really, like she wasn't into cannabis at all in any way, shape or form. She was probably even against it and believed in the stigma. But once I explained things to her, the way the industry was moving, she was like, hmm, this is a great business opportunity and we can help people in the meantime, from a medicinal standpoint, from a social justice standpoint, and from a business standpoint. So, I mean, that's where that came from. But yeah, I mean, for me, this is no different than the rest of my life. I've always been like kind of going against you know everyone else and yeah. just what i believe is right so that's, that's the perfect segue to, our, to my next question is like so what what was it about the, the industry that like just said you know what i want to start a business here because like most most times people see an industry where it's like it's already the path is already laid out it's like okay right. it makes sense i'm going to carve out my space here mm -hmm. it's already been proven it's already been done largely it hadn't when you wanted to start and it definitely hasn't for a woman of color right yeah. so like what made you just be like you know what i want to start a business here. I'm already a woman of color, which is going to be an uphill battle in any business, right? right. Um, I'm going to start a business in this industry. Like what, what sparked that? So I think I'm a little, I'm just wired different. Like, I think I liked that. I was like, Ooh, nobody's done this. There's no pathway. That means I can create my own. Mm. That means I can do, I can figure anything out. You know, I don't have, there's no right way or wrong way. Um, also, I, you have to think about the time period where I started. It was 2014. I had just graduated from school. Um, I was an economics major at Spelman College. Um, so I had just written this huge, you know, like 30 page paper on a, you know, economic, I've just gone through data courses, all these things. So I was thinking, my brain was still thinking in a um, very analytical way. And this is around the time that we first started hearing that the cannabis industry was going to be a multi-billion dollar industry and it started becoming mainstream. So I'm watching documentaries on, you know, Dr. Gupta is doing documentaries on CNN and I'm seeing stuff on CNBC and all of this stuff. So I'm like, hmm, okay, America's catching on now. And then from there, I realized, okay, we're still at the ground floor level and history tells us the people who get in at the ground floor level of industries normally become the, the players, the big players. So I realized I had a unique opportunity in 2014 when the industry was still in its infancy and we're still there. Even now in 2020, there's still a lot of states that have not legalized. So you still have opportunities there. 
Um, granted, the opportunity to become a large national player is much more difficult at this point. But in 2014, a lot of these companies that everyone knows because they're publicly traded, they were little guys. They had maybe one license in 2014, if any, if they were even around back then. So I knew I still had an opportunity to get in and really make a name for myself. Dope. Oh. Wow. I just love, first of all, now it makes sense why you have a Morehouse College shirt on. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but, you know, being in Atlanta and just like observing how students of the AUC operate, it's so different than I think any other college town because you have the mix of like Atlanta Metro and then you have college and then you fuse those together. And I think the blood of entrepreneurship and just like a boldness is unlike what I've seen anywhere else. You know, and I went to Syracuse, which is like a great school and I have friends who've gone to Harvard and whatever, but mm -hmm. there's no other place I think like Atlanta for like young people to really believe in themselves and just like do what they want to do, you know? Yeah. Um, and as I'm thinking about it too, when you were graduating from school, because I know you said that you're wired differently, right? So what do you feel like is that thing that makes you different from your peers who are like, oh, I'm just going to go get a job. Like you're like, not only am I going to start a business, I'm going to start a business in the cannabis industry fresh out of school with no experience. My mom kind of doesn't think this is a good idea, but we gonna make it do what it do, right? So like, what's that one trait that you think you can attribute to? Hmm. Um, so, okay, growing up, I was always called um, bossy or even mean. Um, and it's funny because I think I have like one of the kindest hearts ever. And I get that a lot from people who really know me. They're like, you're very kind and giving. Um, you know, I do a lot for other people, but I've always been aggressive and really, you know, I like unpolished. Well, I won't even say unapologetic because I definitely apologize way too much. Um, <laughs> because that's the kind part of me trying to just like, it's like, I know I'm aggressive. So I'm trying to like soften it with the sorry. Mm -hmm. Like I'm the one that I got to put an emoji at the end of my text or else. Or you know, LOL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> working on it because I'm realizing, you know, before I, I used to just try so hard to mask that part of me, the aggressiveness and all that, but I'm realizing that's what has taken me so far. It's what's allowed me to kind of jump off of the, the ledge and not be afraid. You know, it's like, I know I can be in rooms with 60 year old white men that have years worth of experience. And I know I have to go in there and be able to negotiate with them. Like right now I'm in the process of, I'm trying to acquire businesses in Maryland and I'm, um, I'm having to raise money for it and do a lot of negotiations. I'm negotiating with the sellers and I'm also negotiating with investors. Um, and doing these two things at once is very difficult. I mean, this is like a $20 million transaction I'm trying to negotiate on two sides. And I know that if I was afraid and if I was afraid to be aggressive and if I was afraid to be, to be, uh, you know, really dig in there with them, I mean, I wouldn't be able to get this done. So now I'm realizing it's a good thing, but growing up, I definitely tried to, to tame that, uh, that piece of me, that, that aggressive and, you know, go getter, no, don't take no for an answer. I tried to, to tame that because a lot of people said I was bossy or mean or, you know, all these things growing up that, especially as a woman, you don't want to be. Cause you feel like, oh, no man's gonna like me if I'm these things, or, you know, I won't have friends or all these things. So that's something that probably within the last, I won't even say the whole time I've been doing this, maybe the last year even, I've really had to kind of let go of and embrace more. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, we, um, everybody, mostly everybody, we've been watching the documentary of Jordan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of get a behind the scenes look at like how he really was right. uh, when it comes to his relentless uh, commitment to winning. And one of the, the quotes that stuck out that people kept talking about was like, I think he said success or something comes at a cost or, or, or winning comes at a cost or something like that. And it's true. It's like, yeah. you know, you can't, you know, you can't expect to be the best of the best and think that you can just, you know, lollygag your way to the top. Like you, you have to be willing to, to go get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to kind of take a, a, a little bit of a different turn, which we talked about before we got on the podcast, uh, just to understand your mindset as an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, me being an entrepreneur for almost a decade at this point, you know, I, I know that cash flow is, mm-hmm. is the number one reason why most businesses fail, mm-hmm. right? So my question for you is obviously, you know, you've, you've started to gain some really, really good traction, even to the point of talking about acquisition. So you're probably in a really good place, but how do you manage cash flow? How do you approach cash flow to kind of make sure that your business, you know, stays successful, right? Because yeah. you know, there, there's times when I know, you know, I, I go back and look at certain years, and I'm like, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to pay this person. Like, I don't know where the money's going to come from. So I'm just curious about your journey with that, just managing business financials, cash flow, and how do you yeah. kind of that? You know, and then in, in my industry too, I think it's important to note before I answer that, you know, if you look at a lot of these publicly traded companies and how they're spending their money, they're spending like 200 times their revenue on, on operating expenses. And that's because there's all this bent up, you know, um, this, this pent up uh, expected gain that everyone thought was going to happen quickly. And it's not happening as quickly. So I think this industry is known for overspending, first off. But that's because there were at one point there was a lot of VC money just flowing into these companies that were going public. So then you have independent companies like mine that are boot, we bootstrapped the entire process. So there are three, three founders and we put in all the money. Um, so out of, I mean, that's just a whole different landscape. So for us, cash flow is very, very important. Um, for the first, you know, we incorporated in 2016. That's when we won our license. Uh And uh, we didn't open until 2018. So for two years, we had to figure out how to operate, how to get our building, you know, open on a very, very small amount of money. And then once we start, once we opened, we've been very fortunate enough to be able to manage, um, you know, our expenses and all that stuff with the money that we're making. So I think we've been able to do that by really making sure that we stay lean as possible which is not normal in the cannabis industry. Most people in the cannabis industry are extravagant and they're you know, spending thousands and thousands on marketing and all these different things, wherein we just focused on staying lean and we gain um, patients, because right now we're medical, so they're not customers, um, but we gain patients really by like organic reach. Luckily, we've had really good PR and marketing, so... You know, we get a lot of people that support us just off of that. We don't have to go and do these, you know, really extravagant marketing campaigns and all that good stuff. So that's been a really, really great way for us to manage, keep our cash flow um, moving at a healthy pace by just making sure that we stay as lean as humanly possible. And we're constantly managing that, Um, going back and seeing how we can cut expenses Um, and then for us too, it's about just making sure that we're connecting to our actual patient base because depending on location and all that thing, all that stuff in this industry, I mean, if you, margins as a retailer are not 
huge in that you don't have a lot of room as a retailer only. Um, you don't have, um, if you're not the one producing the product and you're just buying it wholesale, I mean, you kind of are stuck. Also, we have a, a different tax implication than your normal business. Because we're, uh, we're selling a Schedule One controlled substance, it's federally illegal, we cannot deduct normal business expenses like a regular business. We can only deduct the cost of goods sold. Um, there are some, you know, there, there are ways kind of around that um, to an extent, but not really. So, I mean, we cash flow, like, is that can do or die for your business because a business could go mm -hmm. out, a cannabis business could go out of business simply because they can't pay their taxes. Mm. So that's interesting. In my, in my firm, it's a selfish question. In my mm -hmm. firm, we have an in-house in tax strategist who obviously help our clients save a crazy amount of money on taxes. Would you say that there's a, a unique opportunity to really understand the nuance the, of the tax, I guess, challenges that owners of cannabis businesses have and be in that resource? Would you say there's a hundred percent? I'd say there's probably okay. two accountants that I know that like really know what they're, they're doing okay. in the cannabis industry and companies are getting so that there was a huge, you should just look up all the tax cases that have come out. Yeah. Um, big one, Harborside. They just, they had like a hundred million dollars they owed or something like that. And they won with like, I want to say I, the numbers might be wrong, but I want to say they won their case with like, they had to pay like 10 million out of the yeah. hundred. So it was a win, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. baby, 10 million. If it, there's the M in front, it's too expensive. Okay. Period. <laughs> I don't want none of those problems. I want the Amazon tax bracket. Okay. Right. The zero. <laughs> zero dollar um okay so let's bring and bring it on back because folks said that they put in their own money to start this business right so you know the kids aren't over here on instagram be like you know what i'm gonna put up a website and i'm gonna make it do what it do and obviously it's it's a it's a process right so for somebody who is looking to get into the space um i want you to talk about what do startup costs look like like don't even think about a dispensary if you're not willing to raise this amount or have this amount mm -hmm. and then talk about the other avenues because i think i know when we've talked before you always talk about like the plant touching side versus like i think you call it ancillary ancillary services mm -hmm. um so it's like you know you don't have to own a dispensary to be in the cannabis industry there are, there are other things so kind of talk to us about you know like startup costs and then like the spectrum of what people can actually explore yeah so um okay so for a plant touching side of the business so that's like a dispensary or a cultivation center or a processing center um anything that actually touches the the cannabis plant um and i'm not talking about hemp which we can talk about after all this but anything that touches the cannabis plant you have to get a license for and they are state by state so every state has different laws regulations some are much more competitive than others some are more limited than others some states have lottery programs some states have um you know if you qualify then you get a license and then some it's they're giving out 10 licenses and it's competitive and you got to apply and win um, so all of those are different. All those factors mean different things, but most likely I say on average, you need to just apply for the license. And the reason this money would go towards lawyers, it would go towards, um, subject matter experts. It would go towards your actual application fee. 
um, potentially real estate because some states require you to have the real estate in advance, have it secured in advance with either an option or actually owning it or a lease. So depending on all of those factors, um, I'd say it could cost you, if you really know what you're doing and you can write a lot of the application yourself, you probably will spend somewhere around $50,000 pre-application. Wow. And it's just to apply. And if you need more help, um, you probably will on average spend around $200,000, $300,000 going through the application process. Okay. I have applied. I am not, I, I mean, I'll say it. I have applied and lost and spent $700,000 on an application. Um, 700, like 300,000 away from a million. Yes. So the, let, let's keep it clear for the kids. Okay. Yes. So this so, is not a game. And that is, not at risk capital. that is that is capital that you will not get back. It goes poof. I could have lit that money on fire. And it would have been the same thing. Um, so yes, that is real. And I mean, like I had to call my investors and tell them that we lost. Um, these are the types of things that, you know, when I, at the at the level that I'm playing with that I had to deal with. And I remember when that happened, like I threw up. Like I literally threw up and I remember calling my mom, like, I don't know how to tell them, yeah. you know, I don't know what to do. Um, I felt so like, I felt bad about myself. Like, am I kidding myself in this industry and all that, all of that, you know, I called my investors. They're like, yeah, I mean, we knew it was, it was going to be a hard one. You know, <laughs> we knew that. So we'll get them next time. I'm like, we'll get them next time. <laughs> You're not mad at me. They're, you know, I'm like, they're looking like, no, I mean, you told us it was a big risk and we know, you know, we wouldn't have given you money that we couldn't afford to lose. So I think you know, for me, that was a wake Come up. Come on, invest. That's, that's the key. It's on common sense. <laughs> right. Because people invest money that they're afraid to lose. And I love that. And I love, because we need to talk about like the landscape of raising money as a woman in general, whether you're in cannabis or not. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're not allowed to make mistakes. We severely underraise, you know, our male counterparts. Um, women owned startups are lifestyle businesses, right? Like it's like, oh, like that's just like a cute little thing that they're doing over there. It's not a big business like Google, right? So it's so good to see that you made a mistake, you failed, right? Mm -hmm. But you, you're still able to keep on going. You still have the trust from your investors, especially when I read a, an article from Afrotech that was talking about how, you know, the cannabis industry isn't inclusive and if we think about who has 700k running around you know in their house that they're willing to lose it's not a lot of people of color not just yet at least um so it definitely is i think difficult for people of color to play in certain entrepreneurial spaces but i think cannabis just off of what you said is a little bit harder right so do you yeah. feel like you know you're like the only one and i think a lot of our our peers also tend to go like i've seen a lot of people pivot to supporting the cannabis industry in another way just yeah. because plant touching is like i don't have plant touching money i don't have plant touching capital i don't have plant touching connections so i'm gonna go over here and do this other thing um but yeah talk a little bit about you know well if you can't do this let's let's do yeah. this other thing so, I mean, there are, I wish that I had been thinking a little bit more in 2014 about all the businesses that would be needed to support the industry. Because even if you think about, you know, a lot of people use the gold rush analogy when they're talking about cannabis and the green rush. 
and the people who sold the the picks and the shovels are they always made money wherein the people who are digging for gold they were winners and losers and it's going to be the same way in cannabis not everybody not every cannabis company is going to be able to sustain this the plant touching side but in the meantime the people who are selling the software that we need people who are the marketing companies that really understand cannabis nuance and i know m you've done some marketing for us and i mean some of the the it's, it's a little nuanced it's a little different and then george we just mentioned how you know there's a need for cpas that really understand cannabis because we have different tax implications and we need to be able to maximize uh, or minimize our tax liability every year so if you really understand how to do that you know we'll pay a premium to to be able to have that information rather than work with the regular accountant and then be stuck within 10 years with a 10 million dollar tax bill yeah because that's what happens they come back 10 years later to come audit you from 10 years ago right but they want they want that big bag one yeah they're gonna wait you know and i tell my mom that all the time i'm like no one's gonna touch mary and Mame right now not until we get to the next level and then they're gonna be coming back to oh yeah when you guys opened in 2017 you didn't file your taxes the right way yeah you know, that's what's gonna happen so yeah i mean there's a real need for people in supporting industries and like i said a few software business services from like accounting, lawyers, branding, marketing people, all of that, all the way down to like people who sell packaging and labeling, all the way down to people who do security and construction and really understanding cannabis companies and how the buildings need to be built, but then you're also compliant with the regulations of the cannabis um, commission that is you know, governing the cannabis program in that state. And then you're also compliant with like the the state's rules about how buildings have to be run. Sometimes those three things can be conflicting. Right. So really being able to understand those things. Um, there's just a real need for every service. And the industry is just as sophisticated as any other industry and it's just as corporatized. So whatever you do currently, most likely can be transferred to the cannabis industry. Wow, okay, well, du duly noted, duly mm -hmm. noted, so. Right, George yeah. and I are over here like, hmm. Yeah. Oh, I've been, Em, I tried to tell you that two years ago, I was like, you need to be a cannabis market. But I mean, it's it's hard to, to really niche down that that much, but I will say there's really a, an opportunity there because, um, like I said, I will pay a premium to someone who really understands the industry because that is less time that I have to take. And then, because I work with so many people that I have to explain things to. And that's like, yeah. I don't want, you know, it's like, I don't want to teach you your job. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, and it's, I think it's also difficult though, too, because I think everybody is learning. So now we're starting to yeah. see, like, I know you had, I think you had a coaching program, right? Or a course um, where you were like walking people through it because it's just like, I think for me, like as a woman of color, like I'm so, I think I have like PTSD when it comes to cannabis because it's like, you know, I grew yeah. up in the Bronx where like literally all my childhood friends got locked up for like minor drug charges. Some of them, you know, didn't make it out. And it's like, you know, to see the, the U.S. make a business out of something that has literally cost the lives of so many people. It's like, for me, I'm just like, I can't do it. That's probably why I'm like, I couldn't like get down with smoking and like stuff like that because I was yeah. just like so traumatized by like, it's like, oh, weed is bad. Weed yeah. equals jail. 
weed equals criminal, right? And you become like conditions with all of this that I think a lot of, of really good people um, don't think about cannabis as even an option because it's like, oh, you know, like how am I gonna look if people know that I'm like involved in this or, you know, there's no course, there's no class. Like it's just, yeah. we're all out here just like trying to figure it out, you know? Um, do you still have your program running? I do, but I kind of, I slowed it down because I am, I'm just working on so much and I want to give people what they deserve. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out a way to, to automize more because I want to be able to help people and guide them in the right way um, and give them a lot of things that I didn't have and I had to figure out on my own. But then at the same time, I'm like, look, I can't help anybody if I'm not successful in my own right. Um, and I'm at a critical point in my business where we can either at this point within the next two to three years, I'll say that Mary Maine is either going to grow and scale or Mary Maine will probably be merged, sold and merged into another company because we're kind of at that point um, in our business. So I realized that I owe it to everyone that I'm going to help be a part of this industry and to build businesses and in other industries and all that. I owe it to them to focus right now on what I'm doing. Cause if my success will allow other people to have so much more success, because I, I believe that my failure will hurt the whole, I, I think if I, if I don't succeed in this industry, it will hurt minorities in this industry more than they know. I think it will give people a lack of confidence of minorities in this industry at a high level. There are very few minority companies even succeeding right now in cannabis. I think Biola Cannabis is probably one of the only ones that's really doing well. Um, and that's run by Al Harrington, the former basketball player. Um, besides Al, I mean, I, I pretty much know all the other minority-owned companies and we're all pretty much still small and regional and trying to expand. So, you know, there's a lot of talks of, I mean, there's so few of us that we all know each other. I mean, and we're all talking about ways that we can band together and expand. Um, but yeah, I definitely feel like people need direction and I want to offer that. That's why I try and put out as much free content as I possibly can on Instagram and through my email list, I send out a lot of stuff and I try and do as many of like these podcasts as possible so people can at least hear um, different ways that they can get in. And I mean, I'm, I'm pretty open. When people DM me, I respond and stuff like that. So I'll keep being that way as much as I, I, as I can and I'll keep trying to develop products and services that can help people. As far as like direct one-on-one -on -one coaching and mentoring, I just, guys, I, I, I barely remember to eat. So <laughs> no, that's real. That's real. <laughs> that's real. That makes me think about, you know, when you're building a business, you know, it's like your are I mean, it's a great analogy. It's like, you're really birthing this, this thing, right. To, yeah. to see it grow up and mature. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times what I've seen, it's really hard for entrepreneurs to kind of separate the, the growth of their business while still prioritizing their own like personal finances yeah. and kind of growing their own wealth in that process. So my question to you is, you know, how do you think about growing obviously the business while still prioritizing your own personal wealth, right? Because I know it's almost like they say leaders eat last and we're, so, you know, as entrepreneurs, business owners, we're so focused on taking our business to the next level, uh, creating the space for everybody else. Uh, do you have an opportunity to kind of slow down and see what that looks like for you? Or are you just like in growth mode right now and you're worried about that later? 
You know, for me, I'm so thankful to have my mom on this journey because I'm definitely like a go, go, go. And, you know, like I live alone. I'm not in a relationship. And like, so for me, like my business is life. Um, so yes, I am that way, but I have my mom to remind me to slow down, remind me to, you know, take care of myself. And I, I've really found too, I probably, I mean, and this is recent too, probably within the last six months, you know, incorporating more hope time has actually made me more effective in business. And I think a lot of people, I mean, you might've heard that before that giving yourself a break or shutting down at a certain time will do good things for you. But like when you really practice that and when you really prioritize yourself, it, I mean, you just feel so much more rejuvenated when you do go back to grinding and getting it out. Another thing for me too was, you know, I was, I was a little all over the place before I was just working on a lot of things. Luckily, even when I'm all over the place, I can normally still execute. But once I got organized in my life, um, I realized my business became more organized. Everything, your business will reflect your real life. So if you're all over the place, if you don't clean up your house, if you leave, you know, everything being discombobulated, your business will probably reflect it. So when I started to clean up my own life and, you know, care, I'm, like I said, I live by myself. So I would just be like messy, throwing things all over the place. When I started cleaning up more at home, I realized at the store, things started running more smoothly because I was more organized there as well. When I started time blocking, I started getting more done in less time because I realized before I'm like, what was I even doing for three hours of the day? You know, like, why did that take me three hours? I just got that done in 20 minutes. You know, so once I started time blocking and being realistic with myself, also another thing I do is I create projects for myself. I, you know, I just create stuff and I'm like, oh, I got to do this. And then my mom will remind me like, why do you have to do that? Um, so that's another thing. I just, I've kind of stopped working on 50 million things at once. And I've, I've focused on the things that are important at the time. Um, but prioritizing myself has, has really just made me one, just a happier person. Two, I've been able to connect more with my family because that was my family and friends were getting the X because I know that they care about me. So it's like, oh, I don't have to call them. They, you know, I know they'll be good. But mm -hmm. I realized I was missing my, my meaningful relationships. I was missing that connection. It wasn't even about, yeah, I know my, my, my dad, uh, my dad is going to love me whether I call him or not, but I miss talking to my dad when I don't talk to him in a month. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I, once I realized all those things, I just became a more whole person and in turn, my business has become more whole too. Indeed. And so I guess maybe the, 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 the second part of that is just like, what does it look like for you? Are you like an employee of your company? Are you formally on payroll? Like talk, talk yeah. about how, how you got that structured up. So I am on payroll um, at my company. I am not like when they do the schedule of who's working in the store, I'm not on the schedule. Um, right. My store is open right now. I am not there. Um, so I have built my business to run without me. I travel a lot. I'm speaking at a lot of conferences. Um, yeah, but I, I'm so thankful that I found amazing people. Our store manager um, is actually someone that's been in my life since I was 16. He's my mother's best friend. Um, so, and he's been there with us since he was writing the original application with us when we won. So, I mean, I, the trust factor is there. Our assistant manager is also amazing um, and has been with us since we opened in 2018. Um, and I just, I have really great staff. I, I built 
an awesome staff, but I am on payroll um, as the CEO and I just focus on strategic things mostly. Yeah. Um, and right now we're focused on scaling and growth. Awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Wait, are we breaking up? No. Are you good? Uh, okay. I thought it was all cutting in and out. Did all right. Excellent. Cool. Um, so the last thing that I want to know is <laughs> being a <laughs> Because this like stresses me out as a woman and it, I think it's also one of the reasons why like I just wasn't with the entrepreneurship shits was because I think when you're a woman and when you're beautiful and when you're young, people tend to patronize you or they just don't have the same kind of respect or people want to collaborate with you, but really they trying to date you or they trying to sleep with you. And it's like, he's not really trying to be your mentor. You, you know, the shenanigans, right? The industry shenanigans. Um, so, you know, since you're in this place where you're trying to like find peace and balance and stuff like that, what has it been like, you know, as you try to simultaneously continue to build your life and also build your business? Is your mom like, where my grandkids at or she's like we gonna be rich I don't even care about these grandkids like what has that kind of been like because you know listen listen my mom is like you know what I've been waiting for the grandkids but if you're gonna retire me then I don't even care about the grandkids like right. I can retire and it doesn't matter if there are grandkids to take care of or not I'm on board at this point um but I think it's it's a, a balance as it's a delicate balance and a delicate dance that we do as women in business so kind of talk about that maybe you know um any difficult moments that you've had um or just any lessons that you've learned there yeah so it's funny um i definitely think my mom is more on the like girl whatever my mom knows that i really want to have kids so she's like it, she knows it'll happen but you know me and my mom are over here we're building a house together that we're both gonna live in so i mean my mom is definitely like yeah me it's just me and hope you know that's how she looks yeah. at um and she knows that one day I, you know i hope to have a family and all that stuff but you know for me i mean i've had to go through the past like you've heard this whole time the past six months to a year of my life i've been doing so much soul searching and a lot of mm -hmm. internal intentional work on myself and um, in turn, I've kind of like cut off all dating or anything like that. But I definitely, I want to have a family. I definitely want to have a husband that um, supports my vision and also wants to be a part of it. That's something I realized, you know, I, but all of that came from a lot of deep um, inner work that I did. And I'm glad I did that. I don't know how I'm going to manage because now I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I think I can date now. I think I'm ready. Um, now we're in COVID, so I'm like, there's no dating going on because I don't know where I'm going to meet this guy off of like, right. I don't know, we're just virtually going to pop up on the screen together. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, whenever it comes time, <laughs> maybe, you know, I'm like, when it comes time, I will do that. And I don't know how I'm going to balance it all just yet. Yeah. Um, but I do know that I, I, I operate in faith. I'm a woman of faith. I'm a woman of God. And I believe in divine order. And I believe right now, God wants me to have my head down and grind it out. Like, I, that's what I really think, because um, that's, that's just the place and the spirit that's on my heart. So I think that when it comes time, I think God is going to be like, okay, girl, we need to go mingle a little, you know, it's time. And then COVID happened. I'm like, okay, you want me to really double down for a long time. 
2021, I guess. <laughs> That's nah, okay. I, I can go now, I like, I like, I like the way that, that, that you put that. Um, it, it really gives, I guess, just a lot of insight to your mentality. Um, and this is kind of a, a tangent, but every, I, I start every email with, I hope this email finds you well. So I had to find something else to say. <laughs> I was like, I want to be that corny guy who's like, hope, I hope you find um, You know, I don't like hope jokes, you know, because I've yeah. only heard all of them. I figured. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be that guy. Uh, so kind of the, one of the last questions I want to ask is, you know, so you gave us, you said, you know, one to three years, right? Or two to three years. It's like you guys are positioned to either, you know, scale this thing to the next level or potentially, you know, kind of mm-hmm. um, get acquired or absorbed by another, another company. And so if we look at that time period, let's just say three to five years, yeah. and we're looking back on this podcast, you know, what would you like, where would you like your business and your life to be? at that point if the stars align and i know the stars really ever perfectly align right but conceptually what, what would that life look like you know what man i'm i'm happy i'm in a really good place yeah you know, i did this you know what, what would it look like for you uh so for me within a three to five years you know i would really love to see myself um being positioned as more than just a cannabis entrepreneur and just an entrepreneur outright so that might mean starting another business at the same time in another industry. Because um, I, I tell people all the time, look, guys, like I definitely believe in cannabis. I love the cannabis industry. I love cannabis itself. But I mean, I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I really am a CEO at heart. I can build anything, any business. I can build anything. So I want to show people that. Um, and I, I'd like to be on my, my mission of very well on my way to, by 40, my plan is to sit on the board of two to three companies and have a nonprofit and, you know, be on my yacht somewhere and the coast of Italy somewhere, you know, that, that's the plan. So yeah. in three to five years, I hope I have built um, and potentially sold my first company or well on my way to doing that. Dope, dope. Well, I don't, I don't think I have anything else. Em, do you have any, any burning questions, that you, any, any secret questions that I don't know about that you want to ask before we... Uh, no, I th- that was like my final question too, was just like, what's your exit strategy? Because, you know, you started a call off saying that you wanted to build generational wealth and, you know, what does generational wealth look like to you, right? Is it, yeah. hey, I sold my first company and then I start another one? Is it I sold my first company and I invest my profits and I go, is it, you know, starting something new? So like, what's kind of like your exit strategy and where do you kind of see like the industry going? Yeah, after definitely that? all of that. I see myself either selling my company one day or I'm taking it public. Those are the two options. Wow. Um, I definitely have always seen myself ringing the bell. I will say that I have always seen myself ringing the yes. bell. So I'm going to take a company public one day. It might not be CHA Holdings, which is uh, owns Mary and Maine. Might not be CHA Holdings, but it might be something else. I'm going to ring that bell one day. But, um, you know, I really see myself just building and continuing on. For me, generational wealth is more about what I'm leaving behind rather than what I've built here. So I definitely see myself having a portfolio of different investments. Um, George, I'll be calling you about that. Um, And I definitely see myself um, building companies and, like I said, sitting on boards and investing in companies. I hope that one day I can have a fund that can invest directly in minority owned companies. And I'll probably focus on black women. 
because I, like you said, black women, we are the, the first people to start a business and for some reason, nobody will invest in us. And it's because there's not a lot of VC investors that look like us. People like to invest in people that they can see themselves in, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And there just aren't a lot of them. So I plan to be able to, to help other people build their legacies. And in the meantime, build a legacy for my family. Um, you know, my, my current family, uh, and, and even what we're doing right now, everything we do, my little brother works at my store. We have a hemp farm in South Carolina that my uncle runs. Um, we plan on eventually opening up a chain of CBD retail stores that in South Carolina, that my whole family in South Carolina is going to be a part of. We really are trying to build an infrastructure for our whole family to be a part of. And then we want to be able to, you know, put it in trust and do things enough so that, you know, even when I'm not here, that my kids and potentially my kids' kids, I'm trying to build that type of generational wealth. And I think a lot of people, when we say generational wealth, they just think, think it means like, they think there's, that you're trying to just be rich. No, I'm trying to make other people rich. I'm trying to be wealthy. I'm trying to help other people be rich and then get them in a wealth mindset as well. 100%. Well, wow. girl, speak it. Speak it. I cannot wait to see you ring the bell and then be <laughs> bringing out the podcast clip from five years ago. Like, and this was when she first mentioned. Yep. Honestly, um, so no, much that I said okay. today, I'm like, I've never said a lot of this stuff out loud to people or, or like, you know, in the public. I've said it to people privately, but I've never said a lot of this stuff out loud. So, awesome. thank you guys for that. Awesome. Well, mission well, well, Hope, thank, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show, being our, our first official guest. And, you know, obviously we're rooting for you. Love what you're doing. Uh, if there's anything I can do for you, uh, you know, you know where to find me. And just keep doing what you're doing. Keep killing it. Thank you guys so much. You too, both of you. you I tell you all the time, I'm like, you guys are like my best friends in my head. So thank you. <laughs> But no, nah, it's been it's, it's super great to just see like-minded people win. And so I'm rooting for you, for sure. Yes, me too. Yes, same, same here. I really pray that everything that you want comes into fruition at an accelerated pace because Lord knows you've been working on this for far too long, girl. Um, but the end of the road is near. So good luck with raising, good luck with transitioning, acquiring, all those things will absolutely come into fruition in Jesus' name, period. Um, but let the people know how we can support you, how we can find you, um, and just any, you know, last words. Yes. Yeah, so you guys can find me. I'm the most active on Instagram. So you can find me at I am hope so dope. Um, that's funny. People actually called me that before cannabis. So <laughs> um, and then you can also find my business, uh, Mary and Maine on Instagram, Twitter at Mary and Maine and it's M-A-I-N um, or at maryandmaine.com. Awesome. Well, you heard it, folks. Tap in, stay connected. And just watch the legacy unfold. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Culture and Coins with me and Emily, where every week we bring you your source for entertaining economics for the culture. Tap in.